you're not saying it's actually a valuable company. You're saying that in the next 12 months, I believe that this stock is going to make me money. Hey, whoa, whoa. How did you start this conversation? You started about talking about going out on top and Jeff Bezos. What I do is I go out on top, homie. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougals, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. What's happening? I'm excited for today. That's what's happening. Yeah, me too, dude. We should jump right in. So, Dougals, what's your favorite board game? I gotta say Trivial Pursuit, bro. I love Trivial Pursuit. Uh, I think I actually knew that, but that's the wrong answer. Your favorite board game for this podcast is Monopoly. Tell me uh, which piece and home combination has the home or hotel combination has the best ROI in Monopoly. Um, which piece? Like the horse? I'd say being the horse is my favorite. <laughs> no, um, sorry. I, I, I would have to throw it on uh, probably Baltic Avenue. Yeah, with which combination of uh, of homes or lack of homes? Three homes. Gosh, you're good. I mean, so the actual answer is Baltic Avenue nudges out Boardwalk by six tenths of a percent when you throw a hotel on that bad boy. Momentum investing, baby. <laughs> no, but it's, it's because the people be coming around, right? Baby coming around the mountain when she comes, right? <laughs> no, but it's because pe- people come around that corner, right? So often they want to pass go, get that $200. And then you know what? I'm going to be there waiting to collect that $200. <laughs> With the hotel. Yeah. But uh, I, I think it's the, here, here's, the, can I break down my rationalities? Although I yeah. got wholly lucky in getting that right. But, but my, my rationality was, was that uh, it's the point at which people have just made money to give to you and are landing on your spot where they have to pay you. It's those two things. Like the drug dealer knows to hit you up on the 15th. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, so what you just did, you, the analysis I was re- referencing um, was simply about like how much it costs when you have a hotel there versus how much you paid for the property. And then you took it like three other levels and talked about first and 15th drug dealer and uh, everything else. So Baltic really is like, I'm going to completely change my philosophy, although I never lose at Monopoly, but Baltic's going to be my first and, and number one priority, I think. As it should, as it should, player. <laughs> Here's the place to start. How do you exit? How do you exit? Oh, we I'll tell you how this. you exit. <laughs> i tell you how you exit. You exit on top. Yes. You exit on top, bro. You exit on top. Who's exiting on top right now? Bezos. Bezos. I mean, this is the way to go, man. It's, it's crazy because this dude, we were talking one week, two weeks, three weeks ago. I can't remember. We were talking about how um, best performing stock of all time. When you look at returns relative to the market is what? Amazon. Spit lyrics is what? (laughs) Amazon. Sorry, I'm not ready to spit lyrics yet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It's Amazon, right? Plus, so you have that, right? So you have the best performing stock of all time. Then you also have the the timing at which he does it for that stock is when they have the best quarter they've ever had, right? Uh, 
sales increased by 44% to $125 billion. Operating income increases by 77% year over year. I'm talking about $6.9 billion. Operating cash flow up 72%, $66 billion. It's just like, and then he goes, you know what? I'm going to Mars. No, dude, we talked about he's um he's incredible because we talked about this on like episode three. He's not even human, he's a robot. Like when he when he founded Amazon, it wasn't because he liked books, it was because he saw a business opportunity. He is an incredible uh mind. Like, and I guarantee that he goes, it's been a 10-year run with the stock market. Like uh the pandemic grew Amazon like it can never grow without the pandemic. And he understands that this is the top. And to be able to leave on top is amazing. It is. It is. George Washington, bro. George Washington. I mean, Wait, he, can, George Washington left on top. I think he, he showed the world. Have you not seen or listened to Hamilton? Ignore well, what I, happened in history. Have oh, you I've not been seen to or Hamilton. listened to Hamilton? Yeah. I have been to Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. I mean, show, show the country how to say goodbye. You know what I mean? Like, this is how you exit a company. This is how you exit a company. And you know, you know who he's looking at and saying, Sam, what you thinking? No. Tom Brady. <laughs> Tom, Tom Brady. Brady. And Tom Brady, I pick? Put, put me on the record for last year being like, I guess it was probably like nine months ago, being like, dude, Brady, you got to gone on like Donkey Kong in so many ways. People are people are saying, including Dougal's, are saying, you know, you you've had a good thing going with the Patriots, like a great thing going with the Patriots, yeah. right? Phenomenal thing going with the Patriots, and there there are haters that are like, yeah, but you got Belichick who creates this incredible system. It's not about Brady; it's about Belichick. He's had phenomenal defenses. He had Randy Moss a decade ago, right? Like you have all these weapons. Don't try and just ruin that by going somewhere different where you could fail. Like there were so many haters that were they were throwing out lyrics yeah. like that. Now, boys, in the Super Bowl tomorrow. And, I mean, it's like, if he wins this, if he wins this, which is tough, because you're going against, like, Mahomes, right, with his, with his hair, <laughs> you're, you're, you're going against him. Like, it's going to be tough. But, but yeah, you know, that, how do you say goodbye? You say goodbye at the top. Anyway, but Brady. And Brady, let me, let me just throw out. I know, I know you know you know some Brady stats, but he, he lets the guy own some records. This guy owns some sick records. <laughs> You're going to teach me about Tom Brady now? Just, like, no, I'm not going to teach you. I'm just going to throw it. Because it was like, as I was thinking, you know, I go down my rabbit holes, right? And as I was just thinking about going out on top, I was like, who else needs to, to, to go out on top? And the first, the first person actually came to mind, I was thinking was Zuck. Um, but then I went, I don't know if he's quite on top right now so oh, much. But uh, there's but no anyway. top. I mean, but then, yeah, but then Brady, no Brady popped out and it's like, he started 299 games, most passing yards, right? He's got most passing touchdowns, um, most touchdowns of different receivers, most division titles, most playoff wins, most Super Bowl MVPs, right? I mean, I, I could keep going. I'm not going to, but yeah. it's just like, and now going to the Super Bowl with a different team, which many, many people thought he couldn't do, um, I just think is like, is epic, right? Well, let's, um, let's just assume he wins tomorrow, right? But it doesn't. Yep. It almost doesn't matter. Um, but if he wins tomorrow, I think he'll have seven Super Bowl titles. Um, could you imagine if uh, he then hung it up, went out on top, and then when he was ninety years old, he actually had forty-five Super Bowl titles? 
Wait, so you're saying he wins the Super Bowl, retires, and then keeps getting more Super Bowl titles? Yeah, like just over and over, and more uh, with age. You're going somewhere with this. You're trying to catfish me again. You're going somewhere <laughs> with this. Yeah. Drop it. Drop that's, the lyric. Drop it like it's that's, hot. That's what Buffett did, man. Buffett had a really exceptional run, probably till he was 43, maybe even 50, maybe even 55. And then he just effectively sat on his ass and made billions and billions and billions of dollars. And now, so if, if Buffett was a normal dude and he would have retired at 65 or let his first wife spend some money or died at 75, or, I mean, I could keep going anything that like somewhat normal people do, he would have never been the world's richest man. There's, there's only one right answer to what I'm about to ask. So yeah, tread carefully. Are you hating on Buffett right now? Yes. <laughs> How you, okay, back, back up your, I, 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 hear, I heard everything you were just saying right there, right? Yeah. I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourself. Uh, explain to me why you're hating on Buffett. I mean, I'm not. He's he's exceptional. He's a good teacher. His uh, there's so much wisdom to be gained from Buffett, right? Uh, but Buffett, the fact that Buffett ended up as one of the world's richest people, and then people said, "Oh, he has to be the Godfather," like he's the undisputed Tom Brady. The main difference there is that he stuck around forever. Like it's a time frame thing. There are lots of people that had a 20 or 30 year run where they've done better than Buffett, but you know what they did? They either died or then they sat on the sidelines or then they traveled the world or they bought their yachts. Like it, he still lives in the same house in Omaha. So I just think um, it's important to not conflate those two things. Um, his longevity is the main reason he's one of the world's richest person. Now he's an incredible investor. One of the best of all time. But it's not a bar none Warren Buffett is God sort of thing when it comes to investing in my eyes. Okay, so I hear it. I also say that I, I think those two things kind of do go hand in hand. Like what, what's the definition of greatness? Because for, for me, um, let's, let's chain link fence these two things together right quick. Like I think with Tom Brady even, he's got a lot of those, those records, right? We were talking about earlier. It's really easy to throw in other like – uh, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, you can easily throw other yeah. people in and argue for why, why they might be better. The, the thing I, I think is powerful about both of these cats, right, is longevity. Like doing this for, this is his 21st season he's wrapping up right now with Brady. I think that's really hot, right? And the fact that you can do it for that long, I think is really powerful. And the fact that Buffett can, can do what he's been doing, 22% yeah. or so, right, annual returns since he was like 10, Right is I, I don't know if his annual returns were tracked carefully between the ages of ten and eleven, but the fact that he has twenty two percent annual returns for this long I think is is what makes it great. The longevity well, is the all, greatness. Buffett definitely has uh, audited statements back from when he was eleven because that's the sort of cyborg. Like him and Brady are the same cat in that way, and I completely agree. Longevity is amazing. So if we get into the Hall of, Hall of Fame debate. And we start like bringing this back to sports. Like it's the Gale Sayers, Terrell Davis versus, uh, oh, Curtis Martin, right? Remember, it wasn't Curtis Martin yeah. with the Jets? And he'd barely get a thousand yards a year, but he like stuck around for like 16 years. And all of a sudden he had this impressive uh, run, but he was never the best running back in the league or anywhere close to it, right? Yeah. I, I think longevity has got to be a, a piece of it. 
Oh, I do too. So, but the thing with Brady and, and Buffett is uh, they are superstars on both fronts. They had like impressive spurts where they're the best in the world doing it. Absolutely. And then they have the best longevity ever. So th- that's a great comparison. I think. I, uh, I think that if you, if you throw people like, um, like Simmons, right. Jim Simmons yeah. Uh, yeah. in the mix too. It is, it's hard to argue against the, what is it called? The medallion fund. Is that what's, what's his name? Yeah. 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 It, it's hard to argue against that uh, with like 66% annual returns at the same time, shut it off to the outside world. Cause not scalable. Yeah. Right? It wasn't scalable. Yep. He, he's been doing it since like late eighties, 88, something like that. So he's been doing it for a little over 30 years, right. Yeah. Versus like the 60 it's, it, it's tough to, it's tough to argue. I think it's tough to argue against that longevity. So, Okay, here's the only point that I want to just hammer home, right? So it is important, like, as a football player or a sports athlete, if Tom Brady plays till he's 45, that's incredible. But Tom Brady's not going to die during his playing career, and that's going to cut short how many Super Bowl titles he could win. The people that Buffett gets compared to often just had a normal lifespan, like, often just died at 65. And then somehow that's held against them. Does that make any sense? I mean, like, uh, that's where the sports analogy falls apart. Because if I'm 70 years old and I have 30 billion bucks sitting around, can you imagine what my wealth is going to be at 90, right? It's going to be fivefold that if I'm not an idiot. Yeah, sure. I I mean, I think you you can say that turning 40 as a quarterback is similar. I guess. I mean, you're not like that. That's your naturalized fan saying, "Like, go back out there." I dare you, kneecaps. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, we just yeah. definitely cursed Tom Brady. There's no way he's winning tomorrow after this conversation. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, Brady. Um, although Giselle's gonna be the most upset. <laughs> like, she seems to get oh, real. Oh, she's living. throwing stuff. Yeah, she probably. You know how they uh, are allowing like I don't know eight thousand nurses and doctors or something to come to the game i would not be surprised at all if she got like her nursing certificate in the past couple months and is pretending <laughs> just so she can be at the game like i'm gonna see her she'll be all dressed in the scrubs or something and she'll be like this is totally legit man oh i can't, I can't wait i cannot wait to visualize that um the uh the, the quote the quote that uh that came up recently and i actually don't actually know who said this although uh it was it was quoted as Buffett, but I don't, I'm not sure it was actually Buffett. Is it's not timing the market, it's time in the market, right? Yes. Right. Uh, yeah, that gets thrown around a lot, and I don't think that was actually Buffett either. But I could be no. wrong. Let's just say it was Einstein, because like why it's, not? It's like too witty for Buffett. Buffett would have had like two more sentences in there. Yeah, exactly. He does. He doesn't go. He doesn't go that pithy. Um, but uh, but when I heard this recently. And there's going to be some tension in the room right quick. When I heard this recently was when Chamath said it. (laughs) Wait, are we going to play this clip? People, if you could see my textual messages this week, it was every 15, sometimes every 17 minutes. I'm getting something from Skippy to Doodah that's basically saying, like, I cannot believe this. What is this? What is he saying? Right. About value investing. Because Chamath this week said many, many things, right? But one of them is, yeah. is he said, it's not time. It's not time in the market. It's time in the market. And he, <laughs> Hold he, on. he spit some hotness. Hold on. I'm going to play uh, like 30 to 40 seconds of this. Okay, here we go. 
One of the most interesting things that's happened in markets in your professional career is this shift away from what I'll call value investing towards what I'll call growth investing. As a capital allocator, I'm just curious how this has looked from your seat. What to you looks absurd about the value investing style? Obviously, I would characterize you as a growth investor just based on how fast the companies that you've invested in tend to be growing. What concerns you or worries you about growth? Can there be too much of a good thing? What are the excesses that would cause you to be concerned? Just talk me through these styles because you've been an exemplar of the change. Let me answer this by asking you a question. Do you have two or three kids? Two. Okay, two. Are your kids valuable? Do they have value? Of course. How much value do they have? Infinite value. Fair? Sure. You wouldn't say that they're valuable because they cost $4, <laughs> right? I think that the biggest fallacy of value investing is that people are not willing to revisit that word from first principles. Okay. This is just hot garbage on like a thousand fronts. So one, you hear Patrick O'Shaughnessy. Did you hear that laugh? Go back and listen to that laugh. He, it, his family's worth like 40 million bucks because his dad understood. He wrote a book called what's, uh, what works on wall street, uh, pioneered a lot of the factor investing stuff. Uh, they fully understand and support value investing. This is a freaking joke. So, okay. First of all, he says, are your kids valuable? Yeah, of course, of course, your freaking kids are valuable. Are you are we investing in kids? No, absolutely not. What we're investing for, it has a quantifiable that like there's a quantifiable goal here. So Dougal's, what makes a good investment? What at the end of the day, what should your investment do for you? Make money. Yeah, right. So let's talk about cash flows. Okay. Let's not talk about revenues, profits. Let's not talk about any of this other crap. Let's talk about free cash flows. If you have free cash flow, what can you do with it? You can spend it. You can take it out. You can do whatever the hell you want. So if I'm an investor and I buy a company and it has free cash flows, that's freaking fabulous. The investment I made this week, and this is not advice, is TDS, Telephone Data Systems, price to free cash flow at 1.49, okay? You know, Chapman's portfolio, he, he invested in Slack and some other nonsense. You know what price to free cash flow on Slack is? 200. All right. Who's getting a better deal here? Who's getting more cash flows? Me or him? Now, listen, if I can already see the look on your face, if, if this is a series A and I'm the first person that Slack ever pitches, yeah. Do I get a better deal on that? Maybe. And is do I understand growth investing that you're saying, hey, five years from now or two years from now, like Slack's growth is going to crush TDS's growth? Absolutely. But right now, I got like 150 times better value than him per the price I'm paying for free cash flows. And it doesn't matter. One second, Douglas. It doesn't matter if I'm paying four bucks for this. Double down. Right? <laughs> doesn't matter at all because that company is worth two billion bucks. I'll pay two billion bucks for it. I don't care how many shares are out there. I don't care what it's divided by. I don't think he's this naive. I think he's simplifying the conversation. But that, what he described is not value investing at all. It's not about four bucks a share at all. Wow. I'm yeah. I can no, keep so going. The, the, the difference in my mind is, because I I would say I mostly, uh, I'm not, maybe, maybe I go too far to say agree, because you will hop in your car and show up here like those demon twins on SNL. I don't know if you watched SNL last week, but if people have Dude, not seen that clip, go watch the demon watch, twins. Watch what you say right, right now, because I will be at your house in no time. <laughs> 
the the thing is, I think he's talking about valuable companies versus value investing. I think that that's the difference. And you, you even when you're talking about your Hooker Furniture or your yep. Kimball International or yep. your TD, TDS, right? You're not talking about valuable companies. You were talking about investments that are valued at a level in which you believe you're going to make money in the future. And that's different. And that's actually not what he's talking about. But, but he's saying, like, if something is valuable, then own it. I mean, no. If something is valuable, then own it at a price. Like, I wrote this whole thing six months ago about Howard Marks breaking down, like, basically the price you pay matters. All value investors, go back to Buffett, go back to anyone with a brain, say the price you pay matters. And so both those companies are valuable. Like, pick your favorite company in the world. Amazon is incredibly valuable. Amazon is a company I would love to hold. Amazon at current prices is not going to give me free free clash flows that are desirable in my eyes. TDS is. So I to say that a company like the a dirt cheap stock is not valuable is a joke. There are free cash flows there. Of course it's valuable. I'm not buying dumpster fires that lose money. Let me let me let me throw this out there though. Let me throw this out okay. there. I so just just so people can understand, I know what I'm getting into here. There is a, I see a fire. I see a pure dumpster fire and I'm like sneaking up on the side with a little bit of gasoline and I'm salt baying it is like what I'm doing. <laughs> the, the thing is that you on a, on an annual basis, flip your portfolio, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're not saying that at these free cash flows, this is a company that is worth investing in and holding. You're not saying that. You're not saying it's actually a valuable company. You're saying that in the next 12 months, I believe that this stock is going to make me money. Hey, whoa, whoa. How did you start this conversation? Uh, you started about talking about going out on top and Jeff Bezos. What I do is I go out on top, homie. When when the valuation comes back, so TDS, what is their typical cash flows? It's uh, or ratio. It's like one to four or something. So when they go from 1.5 back to four, when they mean revert, which is the key tenant of value investing, then I'm going to sell the thing. Yeah, it's totally different. I'm not buying stocks and saying 30 years later or even a decade later, like this is going to be on top of the world. Because if I was doing that, I would have bought Amazon 10 years ago, right? Yeah, and so, so therefore you're not saying it's valuable. You're not saying TDS is a valuable company to own. I'm not saying you're, it's, you're saying I'm not saying it's the making- most valuable thing 10 years out i'm saying it's valuable right now that's way better no you know no, how you're, hard you're saying you're saying it's a good investment right now you're not you know saying how, it's valuable wait 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 you know how hard it is to predict the future in uh in 2010 did you have global pandemic on your bingo card for 2020 yes. <laughs> of course you did well so all i don't have to predict the future i know right now i know in the next 12 months they're just printing money and they're gonna hand it to me that's a better proposition no, and I'm not saying you're not going to make money. I'm just saying that there's a difference between valuable and a good value. Like those are two different things. And what Chamath is talking about is that in, in his mind, he believes holding valuable assets. He is, he's not, but he's using value investing. And I, I will not say that he is giving like true value investing. It's like, like a, a good stance. Like he, he's not really yeah. defining it well. He's not standing for it, like, but However, he, what he's talking about actually is that holding something valuable is what he's after. And that he believes that in value investing, they're not looking for things that are valuable. You're looking for things at a good value. And there's a difference between those two things. 
that's the that's the lyrics he's spitting. Yeah, I mean, whatevs, dude. The the four dollar the one are your kids valuable is a is a joke. And because t- tell me what company does he own that is valuable as his kids? What is the best predictor of stock performance in twenty twenty one, homie? The price per share, which is boom. Yeah. So in that case, that also <laughs> invalidates his argument because his four dollar nonsense is actually proving to be true. Uh, yeah, I hear you. And and let me just to set the record straight. Like, listen, if I'm worth billions and people are pitching me Series A or like, there are probably some incredible deals there on the growth side of the house, and so. He lives in a different world, I think is the main thing. But that argument was really self-serving and he wasn't actually articulating what value is. And props to Patrick O'Shaughnessy for not biting his head off because that's why Patrick is a good interviewer has one of the most popular investing podcasts there is. Because I would have been like, whoa, uh, did you just say what I think you said? Because uh, you're no longer allowed to talk to me. There's some, there's some hotness over that, that piece of the interview around value investing. What I, I think, can I switch gears for a moment? Is that okay? Yeah. All right. I want to switch gears, but stick with the interview because it prompted some stuff in my mind that I think is really powerful when uh, they started talking about inequality too. Yes. So yeah. I hopped in the interview so I could figure out what you were so fired up about, but I left that interview being like, man, the inequality talk, I think it like, it really resonated. A lot of things resonated for me. I especially liked, um, how he was talking about what I call the binary nature of inequality, right? Yes. And, and people start to get really precise and saying like, I have $1.2698 billion, a million dollars, whatever <laughs> it might be. But he's like, it's really just, it's binary. And this brought me back to a conversation that we had uh, months ago uh, with regard to Pilchetti's book, um, Capital yes. in the 21st Century, and something that really resonates for me. If there are any economists that are listening to this podcast right now, about 81% of you, I think, are going to disagree with the next statement that I make. Hey, um, that was my stat. You just stole my freaking stat. I researched this. Come on, oh, homie. I, I just, I just <laughs> I pulled that out of my mind. Was that, is that the real stat? That's the real stat, yeah. <laughs> um, Bloomberg but, uh, <laughs> did a poll. Or uh, it might have been New York Times. That's hilarious. <laughs> but he, he has, uh, like, the central thesis of this book is that R is greater than G, meaning that the rate of growth on capital is greater than the rate of growth on from labor on the economy. And that is what creates um, bigger, bigger gaps in, in wealth disparity over time. Right. So t- tell me what, tell yes. me what you researched so we can, we can make sure we're on solid ground with each other. No, same sort of stuff. Read the book several years ago, but then was doing a refresher this week. And uh, is certainly the consensus among your average economist, which, should not be trusted, even though I have a minor in economics, is uh, is this is not true. Um, I think it's a very interesting debate, regardless of it's if it's true or not. And I think there's some element of it that's true because it's very hard to grow your wealth significantly without uh, what all what I'd say is ownership in companies. Yeah, independent of whether because people are criticizing. Phil Ketty's, um spreadsheets and the math and whether or not like, you know, it's the uh, taxing capital is the right, the right way to go. Independent of all that, if you just live in, at least in the US, right? If you just live in this country, it's true. You either have capital you can invest, which can grow into more capital or you yes. never get there. Yes, exactly. And 
because I completely agree. The first 40 minutes of that Chapmouth interview are awesome. I, I love like the thought-provoking stuff he's talking about, especially as it relates to inequality. So the New York Times had an incredible article this week that broke down uh, equity ownership. It's it's out on the Twitter account, people, at uh, Skippy Dougals. Uh, so check it out. But uh, it just showed how few people actually own equities. And to me... This brings, this brings so many opinions to mind. The first is, um, even if you have five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever, it, the early education system, I guess I'm talking high school on, should be saying company ownership is an important path to wealth. And I get, you know, I get a lot of people that reach out to me for so-called investing advice. And I always cringe because they want to buy Tesla and whatever else, you know, like they want to buy this super expensive, hot stuff. They want to buy GameStop. Uh, and I know they're going to crash and burn. And so years ago, I would think, oh, man, they're they're really not going to do this experience. Now, I think it's great that they're toying with the idea of company ownership, because if that clicks for them, they might get burned here or there. But their, their wealth is still going to be significantly greater than it would be if they never toy with that idea, right? Yeah, and that's the – it's the the glory and also the danger, I think, in some of what's happening right now. Because I, I agree with you from the glory standpoint that with – and when I say everything that's happening right now, I mean things like GameStop, things like just have Robinhood existing, right? And Robinhood – I've got a Robinhood account. I have a Charles Schwab account. Um, and – the Robinhood by far is like the best user interface and user experience you can have, yeah. like, right? And, and the glory in all of that is that people are getting involved and getting involved is, is part of it. Like it's the binary nature of being involved. Like you said, owning companies. Yes. The other side of that is you mentioned getting burned. The other side of it is if you get burned and believe that that is like, that's the market right? That the market, you touch that, uh, that stove, the market's hot, right? And it burns you yeah. if you don't get back involved. And that, that's like, that's where it gets a little bit dangerous. So you, have, you have to get involved in the right way, but I agree that getting involved is the first step. And I love that people get involved. Yeah. And I guess I hope because more than 50% of people, their first attempt to invest specifically in individual companies is going to end badly. But I hope that's a learning experience that that helps them understand exactly what's going on. And, and then they go buy low cost index funds for the rest of their life. Like, do you, do you have some of those stats from the, uh, the New York times article? Uh, no, but I could pull them up, but let's, uh, you got them handy. Cause yeah, I, th I, think, I think, I think I got a couple of them. I got a couple of them. Cause they're, I think they're interesting and worth, uh, worth throwing out the specific. So a couple are, um, the top 1% of Americans in wealth, when it comes to wealth control 38% of the value of stocks. When you go to the top 10%, they control 84% of the value of stocks. Um, yes. And that's including things like IRAs, 401ks, right? Uh, index funds, et cetera. If you look at just directly held stocks, so people like buying like game stonk, right? People buying uh, stocks like that, then it, it yeah. becomes 51 and 92%, or 51% and 92% respectively uh, for those two yes. groups, for the 1%. That is, it's, uh, it's enormous. Right. And, and, it, and it gets back to people looking at the, the stock market as an indicator of the economy is a complete falsehood because the nation doesn't own stocks. Um, and, and the place that I don't have this that offhand, but uh, I feel like I remember reading somewhere recently 
that if you that the highest percentage or like highest uh, participation in the stock market was like back in the early 2000s. I think it was like before the the bubble burst. And that is what scares me. When you talk about the share of families. So like if the stock market is the economy, right? If you take the bottom 80% of this country, gosh, that's got to be near 270 million people or something like that. Um, They own 7% of all equities. Like when the stock market goes up, it doesn't do anything for 80% of the families. Yeah, exactly. That's a crisis, right? And I think, uh, I think Chamath hit it um, like right on the head when he was talking about that being a major risk to democracy. Right. And we, we've seen yeah. it. This is not a, this is, we're getting, we're getting fire on some things that this podcast is not about. Right. But I think, <laughs> uh, but if you look at, at some of independent of where your, your politics land, right. I'd say independent of where your politics yeah, land. Absolutely. If you, if you look at things that have happened over the last many, many years, I would say, but especially over the last few weeks, and over the last five years, is that there are there are parts of this country that are being left behind, right? And they're they're being fully neglected because we start to tout these things that actually things like the stock market that don't impact um, other people. Like, how could you not get upset about that? Um, can we can we keep this going um, and talk about the redistribution of wealth with my boy from Arizona who bought GameStop at GameStop at 380 and his quote was I was a little late to the party but he's fine he's fine <laughs> losing that much money because he he's all it's all about the redistribution of wealth do you think I should tell this guy about the value hedge fund that made 700 million bucks last week should we keep that? Should that be our little secret or what? He didn't. He didn't specifically mention who he was redistributing to, right? <laughs> a bunch of millionaires on Wall Street. Also, when we talk about wealth inequalities, we need to go back to the latest Joel Greenblatt Blatt book, where he talks specifically deep dive on minimum wage stuff, which is super fascinating, and I think he gets uh, more right than a lot of people have been the last few years. Common Sense, The Investor's Guide to Equality, Opportunity, and Growth by Joel Greenblatt. That's the book you're talking about, right? Boom. Thank you. Yeah. So spit some lyrics. He talks a lot about the education system and the fact that we seem to drive away from competition, which is uh, interesting theoretical debate. Um, But he basically has founded a bunch of charter schools in New York. So he's a little biased there. I still think it's worth a read. I'm not going to bore you with that. Um, Minimum wage he uh, really focuses on the earned income tax credit, which right now, basically for select a small group of people, um, if you're working at the end of the year, the government will give you a tax break. And the return on investment of that tax break is outstanding because it's going to the people of most need, right? Yep. You mean the return on investment of the government, like of the country. Of the government money. Yep. Now, what happens is the ret- that return on investment doesn't always show up this year. It shows up 10 years down the line because it's a kid who maybe want to have food or childcare otherwise, right? Like it, it's these basic foundational blocks. And so I think this is critically important. What he proposes is basically saying anyone that works and makes less than 15 bucks an hour we're going to take that approach and we're going to have 
an entirely new perspective on government spending. We're going to say, what's the ROI of this? And so if you're in the middle of Kansas and you're making seven bucks an hour at McDonald's, if the state of Kansas tells McDonald's they have to pay that person 15 bucks, that breaks down very quickly because they get replaced by a computer monitor, right? Like I, I was in Europe two summers ago. There's not even people that work at McDonald's anymore. It's all touchscreens, right? Um, so you put that person out of work. That doesn't do good for our long-term inequality. What you should do as a government is you should say, McDonald's, you pay that person what they're worth. And then we're going to revise this earned income tax credit to take them to at least $15. And that shows up every two weeks as part of their normal paycheck. So if their normal paycheck is whatever, 1500 bucks, McDonald's might pay half of that and the government might pay half of that. What that does is that doesn't put McDonald's out of business and it doesn't put that individual out of work. It bridges that gap. So they actually have a, so they pay rent, pay childcare, pay food, and it would cost a trillion bucks, which sounds crazy expensive. Yeah. And you, but, you're, you're, nope, sorry, keep going. No, keep no, preach, preach. But the, the return on that investment is insane. 15 years later, I thought, it's a nice take and it's a, a refreshing take because I've never been one to just, I mean, saying the, the national minimum wage should be 15 across the board, San Francisco and Topeka, Kansas are two entirely different places. Yeah, I mean, e economists, I'm going to say unequivocally, um, are very against uh, a federal min or a minimum wage of any sort, federal, state, yeah. otherwise, um, because of what you're talking about. And um, you were saying that this would not put McDonald's out of business. However, if you're basically making something uh, economically, uh, difficult for a company, right? They have a fiduciary responsibility to Dougal's in some cases, if I'm owning part of that company to oh, say yeah. that, that they're going to try and make profits. And they start doing things like let's, let's get touchscreens in versus having a human being, right? Whereas if you, if you can find other ways to get cash flow to the human being, that's not disadvantageous to the company, then, you know, booyaka shot. The, uh, I was listening to a podcast interview with Mr. Greenblatt. Um, and he was, he was also spitting some other lyrics uh, that I thought was I thought was interesting. I don't know if this is something you do, but I thought this was really interesting in a way to get that R is greater than G situation under control. Yeah. It's saying that today there are limits to what you can put in your 401k and your IRA, right? Yes. As, as of this moment, 6K a year if you're under 50 um, in the IRA and I think 19.5, right, in the 401k. Yeah. He was saying, what if we instead say instead of saying you have 0% tax, a tax deferred, 0% tax today, if you put 6K in the IRA, what if we say you can put, for example, 10K, right, in your IRA, that 6K, 0% tax, but that that a 4K, you actually get a lower than ordinary income tax, right? And that then goes into an account for, um, for those that aren't able to contribute so everyone can participate in capital, right? Yep, another, another great what, what idea. What do you think about he that? I mean, there's so that ties directly back to the New York Times article, right? That these people that for one reason or another, whether it's uh, they're not being paid a livable wage or they never received the basic financial education to understand that ownership of stocks is important or a thousand other reasons like you have to find a way to encourage them to uh, be able to participate in the generational wealth opportunities that are created by owning companies. 
And so I, I support all that. It's great. You take a few bucks from people like me and you and redistribute that to uh, people that it would truly benefit. Um, I have no issue. Yeah, I, I think I think this is a the U.S. is the oldest democracy in the world. Right. Um, which is crazy to think about because we are we're not a very old country. Like we're we're a very young country compared to other places, just that other democracies have come along and fallen, come along and fallen, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Largest democracy in the world is India oldest democracy in the world is the US. And the reason why a country that is only 245 years old, uh, the reason why that that's, uh, that's the case is that it is really, really hard to maintain a democracy, right? And we're, we're seeing evidence of that right now. It's just, it's just really, really difficult. We have to figure out how to handle this capital situation, man. And I, I'm, as you were talking about before, I am a I'm I'm all about trying to figure out um, how we can how we can spread knowledge to the masses through the skips and the dukes. Right? That, that's what we're all about. Now I'm all about trying to figure out how we can just get people involved. I think that that uh that that's step one. As much as we uh uh what's the right word? I would say clamming. As much as we we were clamming on. That's what I'm going with. Don't look it up. As much as we were we were clamming on that uh that dude from TikTok investors talking about how he buys. Like yes, Boom. get involved, bro. Like get involved, right? And he and he was he was mentioning how um how he knows trading sounds intimidating, but it's not hard. Just buy when it goes up, sell <laughs> when it doesn't go up. But seriously, it does sound really intimidating. I think to a lot of people to get involved. Um, and there there are some there's some podcasts I listen to. I won't name some podcasts I listen to that like get deep into like the esoteric like fundamentals, right? And when you start to get that deep, people are like, I'm never gonna look at a at a, a 10Q or 10K. It's it actually talking about uh, your boy Greenblatt, um, but talking about him, his uh, I think it was his first book. You can you can be a stock market genius, right? That, yeah. that we've mentioned before here. Yeah. Like that book was written to be simple, right? For people to be able to get involved, and it talks about warrants and diving into page two hundred and sixty four <laughs> in a ten k or an S one, so you can figure out stuff. And like that's not what's going to get people involved. Got to check those footnotes out, baby. <laughs> you know, so so how, how do you break it down, simplify so people get involved? And um, and I think, you know, the, the people that are shouting from the rooftops on TikTok investors, like, do do your part, man. That's awesome. Like, I'm glad you're in the market and stick in the market. Just don't get burned by the market too bad. Well, I mean, caveat, like get involved, but don't don't get involved when you don't know anything where you're going to lose your house, right? You know, like start small is, uh, it's an important thing here. Um, go buy your favorite company. But the, the amazing thing about Robinhood is like literally 10 bucks, absolutely, well, relatively uh, low cost. Go have some fun, but just start small because it's not easy. 